Welcome to Spies of London, the Westminster Walk. This walk begins at Pimlico Tube Station, primarily because it's the nearest station to MI6 at Vauxhall Cross, and it is therefore quite easy to get to for tourists, particularly people who don't know London that well. There are buses as well that serve the area of Pimlico quite well, and itself is a short walk from Victoria Station. So the first thing you'll notice when you arrive at Pimlico is there are a lot of exits or at least more than one. And more than one exit, especially if it's on a different street, always makes things challenging for walkers and for meeting people. So I suggest you follow signs to the Tate Gallery and you will then come out in the right place, either up the ramp or the steps, turn 180 degrees and you will see a brick building in front of you which is the National Crime Agency, or at least one of the National Crime Agency offices, perhaps the most secret. And outside of the NCA is an area with benches where you can meet me if I'm meeting you in person for Airbnb or where you can start yourself. We start at the National Crime Agency for one reason only and it's because it's above Pimlico Tube Station. The National Crime Agency is quite new, it doesn't have the exotic history of FBI in America and it's not vastly important to our Cold War history or to espionage in general but we can't pass it without mentioning it. Now in recent months after the opening of the American Embassy in Nine Elms, I had to change this walk to take the Embassy in. It's not much of a detour, but it does mean that you have to cross the main road and at certain times of the day this is a busy road. So if you orientate yourself with the National Crime Agency behind you, facing the road in front, you'll see a range of bus stops. Take a left there back towards the ramp where you just came out of, cross the road at the lights and then turn right. So you are following the road, which I think is to the west, more or less, into Pimlico. Walk a little further, and on the left you will see a road called St George's Square and a church, which is St Saviour's. And behind the church is a large grassy area, which is St George's Gardens. If you walk along this street, which is a really natural, historic Georgian terraced street, you will see a gate, a metal gate, and walk into the square. Now, we normally stop here to do our introductions because it's quieter than outside the tube station. It also gives me a chance to talk about our second site on the walk and really our first proper site, which is the massive, sort of communist-looking apartment block, which is Dolphin Square. The reason I like to do that discussion here is it's quiet and because Dolphin Square is a private area, it's not really fair to stop and talk about the place, uh, especially the kind of things we tend to talk about when the residents are walking past you. So we stop in St George's Square, exchange names, understand what's brought us together today for the walk, and then we talk about Dolphin Square. I have the luxury on these recordings of expanding more than I tend to on the route itself. The thing about these walks, or indeed any guided walk, is that the walk is always unsatisfactory to just about everybody. It is too long for some people and too short for others. Too quiet, too noisy, too windy, too hot, too cold. This is just human nature, but if I have 10 people on the walk, you can guarantee I'll get 10 different reviews. So feel free to fast forward any stages that you don't like the look of, but I do want to mention Dolphin Square in some detail, because as well as having a rich history, it has also been mentioned in the recent John le Carré book, A Legacy of Spies. And this book came out the month in September 2017 that I first started doing these walks, so I had to include this and I had a lot of John le Carré fans specifically interested in looking for Dolphin Square. But I first heard about Dolphin Square from another walker, 
who came along in August of that year when I was just launching the walks. And he asked me about Dolphin Square and he pointed in the direction of it. And I looked it up and I couldn't believe my eyes. So one thing to start us off here is to look at the instructions that Peter Gillam received in the John le Carre novel. Reading from John. Temporary accommodation has been obtained for you effective today's date at apartment 110B Hood House, Dolphin Square, London SW. Following conditions apply. I am to keep no pets, no unauthorised third party to be admitted. I am to be present and available in the premises between 2200 hours and 0700 hours or supply legal department with notification in advance. So Peter Gillam has been summoned back from his wonderful French farmhouse to account for past actions that he and George Smiley have carried out in the in the history, and it's particularly to do with Alec Lemus, who was in A Spy Who Came In From The Cold and was the, anti, the hero in that story. Now, Dolphin Square, you can look this up. As you know, I have a blog with some of these photos on that I used to hand around on a tablet. There is no substitute for actually going to Dolphin Square. It is massive. It is split into at least four different blocks or houses, of which Hood House, just mentioned, is one of them. And I tell people to keep a lookout for Hood House as we walk past. It has an underground swimming pool, a restaurant, shopping arcade. It's really nice. I love it. There's no balconies. There's no outdoor space except the garden in the centre. But I love it because it's roughly Art Deco. It was very, very grand when it was built. There was porters that would park your car for you. You could walk out across the road to a jetty, where you could sail your yacht onto the river, which was never built, unfortunately. It was always planned, and it's in some of the diagrams that you'll see. I have a really interesting book about Dolphin Square. There was supposed to be a little harbour there for residents. That was never built, but there is a gardens there. So as you walk through Dolphin Square, keep John le Carre's words in mind. Soon the lighted hulk of Dolphin Square was rising at me out of the haze. Ever since I had rallied to the secret flag, the place has given me the shivers. Dolphin Square in my day had more safe flat to the cubic foot than any building on the planet, and there wasn't one of them where some luckless Joe hadn't been briefed or debriefed. It was also the place where Alec Lemus had spent his last night in England as a guest of Moscow's recruiter before setting out on the journey that killed him. Flat 110B Hood House did nothing to dispel his ghost. Circus safe flats had always been models of planned discomfort. So the idea is that he's not being sent to the Ritz here. He is being sent somewhere that is uncomfortable, tricky to get to, and foggy. And that's to give him the jitters before he gets interrogated by his old masters. And there is a connection here, of course, between Hood House and the Hood Hoodlum gangster kind of idea. And Alex son seems to think that they are basically naughty boys and hoodlums. They're not really like diplomats or police people. They are really trouble. And it's a really dark world that they operate in. Well, he would think that, wouldn't he? Because his father was killed in the line of duty. But it's a, it's a viewpoint. And the more I dig into these spy stories, the more you wonder what it's all for. Because 30, 40, 50 years after these massive scandals, especially around Kim Philby, Anthony Blunt and the Moles, which John le Carre adapted for his most famous stories, the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy series, of which this is one. 30, 40, 50 years later, nobody remembers what was going on or what it was all about or knows anybody, and the world moves on. So what seems to be a matter of life and death, uh, earth-shattering importance at the time, suddenly looks a bit silly 40 years later, unless you are 
personally involved and your family's been affected by these events. So there's no question that Dolphin Square was very grand. It is still very large, but it's lost some of its grandeur and it's a little bit dusty and faded around the edges. But we leave by the front gate, which is always open, as far as I can tell, 24-7. Cross the road, however you prefer, and into the gardens opposite. And if you walk to the riverbank, you will see the US Embassy at Nine Elms. And this really is an important building. It has been 10 years or so in the making. It's effectively a cube. I'm certain there are several levels of basement. At least one edge of the site is an artificial lake, which is helpful against terrorists and attacks. And the reason uh, America moved here was because Grosvenor Square, which you will find on the Mayfair Walk, was just too claustrophobic. They had experienced rocket attacks and bombs in other countries, and they've increased security. But the London government wouldn't let America seal off the streets around Grosvenor Square and basically occupy those streets. So although one edge was comparatively safe from the park, although you could, of course, fire an RPG across the park quite easily, the other sides, the other three sides where you have side streets right next to the building, were really becoming a terrorist worry. Nothing ever happened there, of course. The police, the British police and the Americans are very sharp on their security. But although nothing happened, I think the building was getting tired. It needed a revamp. It was in a bad location in many ways. So America could move to Nine Elms, have a much bigger site, most of which is empty, but it's that buffer between American land and the outside world, which gives them peace of mind. And it's a very modern, eco-friendly building. It looks fabulous. And although it is in the middle of nowhere, Nine Elms is being developed right the way around to Battersea and the Battersea Power Station which used to provide power to Dolphin Square. So, the American Embassy itself is very dramatic, but you have to see it to really believe it, just like with Dolphin Square. So the story I normally tell here is the one where Philby and Burgess and McLean found themselves working with the CIA in America, representing MI6. And it was really Guy Burgess that led to the problems that these three men had, and you have to wonder if Guy Burgess hadn't been so indiscreet and reckless whether they would ever have been caught, because the sequence of events, as I recall it, was essentially that Burgess had been getting more and more drunk, driving faster and faster in his car. He used to get stopped frequently for speeding and just becoming a problem. And as the Americans, and it was the Americans who discovered these men, as the Americans did more and more research, they started to realise that McLean in particular was trouble. And this investigation reached the ears of Kim Philby which implicated him because he told McLean that he had to get out of America, risk capture and interrogation. So Burgess accompanied McLean back to England. They said a very short time before catching the ferry to France and then escaping to Moscow. But when this happened, the Americans realised that somebody else must be involved to have tipped them off. And that investigation eventually led to the door of Kim Philby and resulted in his defection to Moscow as well. So although the Americans had had suspicions for some time, it was really Burgess's behaviour that tipped them over the edge and got them involved and got them close to understanding exactly what was going on. Britain didn't really believe that Philby was involved, and that was partly down to his charisma and charm that they didn't believe it, and his background as well. And you'll see his school later in this walk. So that's my American embassy story, and it's a fascinating building, but you can walk along the river now towards the bridge, now, unfortunately, this is one of the bridges where you cannot walk underneath. The footpath stops at the bridge. So you must exit to the road. Then what I prefer to do is go down to the lights at the crossroads 
cross over, stay in front of the Riverside Apartments so that you get a much more dramatic view of MI6 when it eventually blasts into your eye line. Or you can walk straight back towards the river uh, next to the bridge and follow the riverbank towards MI6. This location, which is a green space, a nice garden with some sculptures, is also opposite the Morpeth Arms, which is a fabulous pub for viewing MI6. They even have a viewing gallery up on the first floor with telescopes, which might seem hilarious because this was meant to be a secret building. Or was it? Well, in fact, Vauxhall Cross opened in 1994 and there was a new Act of Parliament published in that year, which for the very first time officially admitted the existence of MI5 and MI6. And from that point, the Director Generals of both agencies was published. The address was published. And now it might seem ridiculous in the age of Google Maps and Apple Maps that you can have an office that nobody knew about. But in the Leckenfield House years, the Broadway years, these locations were secret. They had no nameplates. In fact, they had deliberately confusing nameplates. Famously, the Minimax fire extinguisher company of Ryslip was used on one of the buildings. Vauxhall Cross has been in every James Bond film since Pierce Brosnan's years. It's been rocketed with Judi Dench as M as she crossed the bridge. It's very famous. It's pretty much as iconic as you can get for a government office. And it's supposed to be the most secret. So it coincided with a opening up of the Secret Service in Britain, a more of an accountability, which was partly pushed through from Europe as well, trying to set these organisations on a sound legal footing. This also gave rise to the Section 7 set of protocols to do with MI6 agents and GCHQ agents breaking the laws of other countries whilst overseas, which is also mentioned in another episode. And there is a court case going on to try and uncover the precise nature of the rules around that act. Now, Section 7 is public knowledge, but there is a protocol that is not public knowledge, which specifies what the Foreign Secretary can and can't allow MI6 to do under what circumstances. That's the subject of an ongoing legal action. MI6 is absolutely fascinating, and it's like a fortress. But you will see it contrasts heavily to MI5. Even the colour of the security cameras on the building are completely different to MI5. The whole thing, which is glass and steel, is almost square, it has several basement levels, and it's severely fenced off with turnstiles and all kinds of other paraphernalia. Those things which look like guns on the roof are actually for cleaning the windows. We walk now along the riverbank towards MI5, and I do my trick here like I do on the Mayfair walk when I say stop at the Embassy of Qatar. What I say to people here is stop when you get to MI5. I like this stretch of the river. It's always windy no matter what the weather's doing, but it's a great walk. You often see a lot of tourists coming in and out of Thames House. And you see the Millbank Tower, once the home of the Labour Party of Great Britain, now the home of Russia today, with a fabulous view over the British government. People normally stop when they get to the Maritime Organisation, which is on the south bank of the Thames. Perhaps this is because it has so many flags, but the building of interest to us is on the same bank as you, and it's right under your nose if you can see the Maritime Organisation. Turn around face the road and you'll see a very large brick building with a huge archway. This is Thames House and it's been the home of MI5 for just about as long as MI6 have been there across the river. As always with these kind of buildings there are rumours of a tunnel between the two so that the heads and staff can get together at times of crisis or emergency. This is eminently believable. It wasn't refuted by my Navy colleague, believe it if you will. This MI5 headquarters has appeared in Spooks. It was also the scene of a terror attack when a man emerged into the foyer 
brandishing a knife, he was apprehended within seconds. But it does show a level of openness that MI6 does not share. There is no way you could get into the foyer of MI6 because it's fenced off behind turnstiles. MI5, although the main entrance does have bomb-proof shutters behind, these are normally open during office hours. On one of my walks, when I visited Marsham Court, which is behind this building in our next stop, I could see an open door at the back that it felt like anybody could just walk into. This would be deceiving because there are lots of security cameras on the building. There are the classic tank-proof bollards around every British government building here in Westminster. It is pretty secure, but it just has the feeling that it's less secure in, in the sense of being more welcoming than MI6, and I think that is partly deliberate. Partly it's the fact that the building was designed for other purposes and is the mirror image of one across the roundabout, whereas MI6 was custom-built from the ground up on a virgin site, just like the American Embassy. So that's Thames House. Take a close look and then walk around the back of the building and you will head towards Martian Court, which was the home of Morris Oldfield, a former head of the Secret Service and once the target of terrorist bombers. But you'll have to wait for part two to find out about Morris and the bomb. <laughs>